just things for me. Hello, podcasters. My name is Ben Greenwood. I'm the Off-Road Performance Coach. This podcast is to share with you how we do things at Race Ready Off-Road Coaching. So if you want to be a beast on and off the dirt bike, then you have certainly come to the right place. Today, this is our October Q&A podcast episode where we answer questions sent in from our followers, a few from the email list this month and a few from uh, the Instagram page as well this month. So got a few good questions here. I'll try and get through them as quick as I can and not ramble on too much <laughs> as I can tend to do. There was a really good question sent in uh, via the email list from a gentleman about heart rate zones and uh, how can he try and replicate his heart rates that he gets on the dirt bike in his training. So there was a bit of detail to that question and a few rabbit holes to go or a bit to unpack there. So I thought, actually thought I will devote a whole episode to that particular topic. So that'll be the next episode that comes out. Otherwise, these are all the other questions few training related ones as usual and a little bit of mindset stuff we're going to delve into today as well. So first question off the top was how much is too much training and how much is not enough? So pretty sure this person was referring to off-bike training. So pretty simple way to think about it. Too much, if you're doing too much training, you're probably going to start getting run down and sick. So a good litmus test for that is have you been sick or how many times have you been sick in the last 12 months? If you've been sick like more than twice in the tw- in the last 12 months, like colds, flus, run down, gastro, things like this, potentially an indication that your immune system is struggling a little bit and you're potentially getting a little bit run down all the time. So like everyone going to get catch a cold or something, every now and then, um, especially if you've got kids or something like that. But that being said, like it might just be like a once a year thing that you get over in a few days, maybe twice a year. If you're getting sick more regularly and or or it's really hard to get over things, like you get a, a little bug or a sniffle and it's there for weeks, again, pretty big indication that your immune system is struggling. So that's the simplest way to know whether you're doing too much training is if you're getting run down and sick. If you're recovering well and you feel energized and you're getting through your sessions, no worries, then you're more than likely not doing too much training. Not enough, very simply, your performance would just be going backwards. So having some sort of metric, whether it's just your results in your training, your strength, your cardio output or whether it be riding like your performance on your on the dirt bike you might notice that that goes backwards that could again that's just pretty big indication that whatever you are doing off the bike is probably not enough so we want to like at the very least like for the average person you want to at least be maintaining your current level of fitness ideally if we are putting effort into training we want to see it's progressing but that, that's the easiest way to know. Too much, you'd be getting sick and run down. Not enough, your performance will be going backwards. 
What's the sweet spot? Personally, I feel like for that, this is just for the average person, not talking about professional athletes here, but for the average person that's more than likely listening to this podcast, I personally feel like like four to five, 45, 60 minute sessions a week should be more than achievable in terms of recovery for the average person. Like even if you're super under the pump and maybe you're working 12 hour days, big hours, you should still be able to get enough sleep and as long as you're managing your nutrition intake and enough calories in, then you should quite easily, the average person should quite easily be able to recover from five, four to five, 45 to 60 minute sessions a week without digging themselves a hole. Once you start going into training twice a day, like doing two sessions a day, maybe doing like really long cardio efforts, two, three, four hours, that's when you can really start. Well, it just, it's much harder to give your body what it needs to recover. You're going to have to eat way more food, really be onto your sleep, all those types of things. So again, it just becomes harder to manage the recovery. Five, four or five sessions a week really should be quite, if you're not able to recover from that, then there's more than likely something really needs addressing in those lifestyle habits like sleep, nutrition, stress management, those types of things. So that's just a bit of a general rule of thumb, I would say. It doesn't mean you have to do five. Like again, I've got I've got quite a few clients that make progress on less than five hours of training a week. So I'm not saying you have to do that, but I would say that's probably the sweet spot where you start doing more than that, then it's potentially going to affect your recovery more because you're just going to have to be way more on top of your recovery to recover from more sessions than that a week and longer sessions than that a week. So next one's actually about boxing is what are the moto related benefits to training boxing in conditioning workouts? So story time, thought I'd share a story here. When I used to race full time, I didn't really do that much off bike training. I, I've mentioned this like in plenty of other podcasts that you've probably listened to, but I was lucky enough in the fact that I had a very physical labor-intensive job. So for quite a few years there, I was roofing. So I was running up and down roof sheets. We would do 12 hours a day at work, running up and down roof sheets or running on the ground, carrying sheets on my head. So it was very, very, it was like doing, basically doing a 12-hour aerobic workout every day, basically. So I had this really big aerobic engine. I didn't really realize it at the time. Now I understand how all of the, that works. Like looking back, I I'm, I was, I can see now why I had good in aerobic endurance and ability to ride my dirt bike for three hours because I had that very, that base level of conditioning. So when I did actually, believe it or not, the first time I actually did any, like apart from just obviously I did like the normal, like that probably every 18 or 20 year old guy does like a hundred push-ups when you get home from work, a hundred sit-ups. Like I did all that stuff, just doing body weight stuff, like a hundred, hundred push-ups, hundred sit-ups, hundred squats. Like I'd do that a few times a week after work. That was kind of my training. Um, was never anything structured, never anything 
um, progressive. It was just like those basic movements. So anyway, when I first started, it was when I was about 26, I'm pretty sure, there was a couple of our friends were going to this uh, boxing gym in Wodonga and doing um, like boxing conditioning. So they said, oh, why don't you come along? So that was my first kind of proper training where I had someone actually pushing me through workouts uh, was boxing. So it was just like super high intensity um, sparring, uh, burpees, running, just lots of like basically hit training, but it was had some like some sparring work in there. So like it worked for me at the time back then, like again, I had a good aerobic engine and then I was like dripping in a bit of that high intensity stuff every now and then once or twice a week. And yeah, like it, it worked for me then. What, what would I say would be the benefits? If I looked at it now from my perspective now, a couple of big benefits would be the rotation of the core, like the actual boxing component we're talking about here. There's a lot of rotation. So you're going to get a lot of gains around core strength, the rib cage and the scapulas being able to rotate, expand, compress, protract, retract, etc., and that's like all the way from basically from the hips, the ribs up to the shoulders. So we're getting those awesome benefits there of mobilizing that entire part of the body, which is super important. Again, watch anyone ride a dirt bike. We are trying to resist that movement a lot, but we're also having to produce force in those ranges as well through the core. So awesome for the core, the shoulders, hips, etc. Like hand-eye coordination would be a big one, I would say. Obviously, it's really good for hand-eye coordination. Conditioning the upper body to impacts, massive one. Like Again, most people will, or I shouldn't say most, but lots of people out there will say to avoid upper body training to overcome arm pump. I'm on the complete other side of that fence. Well, when I say complete other side, like I'm not talking about going and doing bodybuilding and piling on muscle, but we need to be strong. Like we need to train the upper body to absorb those forces. So boxing is a really good one for that. We're training the upper body to not just absorb those impacts, but it's a very, uh, it's a contract and relax scenario. So that's what we want our upper body to be able to do. We need it to be able to produce force, absorb force, but we also need it to be able to relax. Like that's when we're riding the dirt bike, we need to be able to put force into the bars and pull on the bars on occasion. But in between all of that, we want our upper body to relax. When we don't relax our upper body and there's an isometric contraction there, that's when we get arm pump. So boxing trains you like you say you throw the punch and you create tension when that glove hits the mitt or the bag or whatever it hits. And then you pull it back and it relaxes instantly. So you're training the muscle and the nervous system, the brain, in that contract and relax scenario. You're not training it to lock on, which that's what we want to avoid. To overcome arm pump, you want to avoid isometric contraction. We want the brain, the brain needs to be able to contract the muscle quickly and also relax it very quickly. So they would they would be the biggest benefits from my point of view now, looking at if I was to analyze boxing. Um, 
Do I think it's like the missing link to performance on a dirt bike? No, I don't. Um, none of my clients do it. <laughs> I don't program it for any of my clients, that's for sure. However, I definitely would, wouldn't say there's any downsides to it. Like if that's something you enjoy doing and you want to include it into your training, I'd say like go for it, go your hardest. Like it, I definitely would see that there'd be some benefits to incorporating that for sure. Um, it'd be interesting to hear from people, anyone that has incorporated or actually, and actually noticed any difference. Like if you, maybe you were experiencing arm pump and then you started doing boxing training and it went away or vice versa, like one, one or the other, like it'd be cool to hear from people if they have had any experience. It was interesting. I saw on Hayden Deegan's story, the other, or it might've been a post he put up that he was actually, um, boxing, doing some sparring with a guy in California, I think the other day. So He's obviously done a little bit of it, uh, which is pretty cool. So yeah, that would be my take on boxing. Next one was tips on dealing with heart rate before a race. So I'm pretty sure what this guy was getting at was his heart rate's like elevated. Like when he's on the start line, he's like a bit jacked up and worked up. So firstly, I would say it's not, necessarily a bad thing having a higher heart rate on the start line purely for the fact that obviously when we take off in the start like we're going from zero to near max heart rate very quickly so if you're not properly warmed up and your heart rate is very low um, that is a massive jump and can be a shock to the body so you're more probably better off having a little bit of a higher heart rate on the start line than a lower heart rate potentially only it would potentially only be a negative if it's actually to the point that it's causing you anxiety like if you're like like you you can feel your heart beating in your chest like you're short of breath you're it's actually causing you to to lose focus and not feel like you're ready to go so again i wouldn't be that worried about it but if it is causing you problems I would definitely, like my number one go-to thing is just box breathing. So it's potentially just nerves or anxiety, which again comes back to more than likely imagining a situation in the future that hasn't even happened yet. So whether that might be crashing or am I going to win, am I going to come last, whatever it might be. So again, we have no control over what happens in the future. We only have control over this like each and every moment and when we're riding our dirt bike that's what we want to be focused on the very moment like the that 20 meters of track in front of our front wheel that's as far into the future as we need to be thinking so if that will just be my biggest tip if you're feeling a little bit worked up and your heart rate's sort of maxing out a little bit on the start line i'd just be going for the box breathing so it's just in through the nose out through the mouth And just trying to slow down that exhale and lengthen that exhale every breath. It's just a super simple tool that you'll feel tangible results. It's going to help you relax. It's going to help you get oxygen in. And it's going to help you be fully present in the moment. If you just focus on the breath, literally the feeling of the air coming in your nostrils, the feeling of the air going out through your mouth. That's all you want to be focused on. So you're not... It can remove that sort of the monkey mind where the mind's like racing and it's got all this all these 
things going through our head, it can just help us get rid of that and focus in the moment. So that they'd be my biggest tips. But like otherwise, just making sure you've done like a, a really good warm up as well. That should help you feel a little bit more relaxed. Um, obviously, if you just like jump out of the car, throw your gear on, and get on the start line probably going to expect that your heart rate is going to be jacked up a little bit but if you've actually done a proper warm-up that's going to help sort of limit that a little bit as well so next question was around mindset so this particular gentleman just wanted i guess some tips or to discuss things around mindset in a day-to-day scenario like trying to stay focused when dealing with work business family all of those things. So I thought I would just come at this just with a few, I guess, dot points and things you could try incorporating. And these are things that I know have worked for me personally. So the number one, like as the question uh, was sent in, it's like, how can I stay focused or trying to stay focused? So if we want to be more focused or if we feel like we're getting distracted, what is it we want to actually focus on? So number one for me is vision. So that's being aware of whatever your own personal vision is, whether it's for yourself or for your business. You can incorporate your family into that as well. Personally, I feel like when I'm feeling stressed or I feel like I'm going backwards or everything's a bit too much, I feel like reminding myself of what the vision actually is is super helpful because we can get like there are going to be challenges and things are going to be difficult, especially when you're striving to be better, whether it's, again, personal or business. We're always going to have these challenges come our way. So we need to be aware of why those challenges are there. Because if we want to achieve anything great, whether it's on a personal level or a business level, it's not going to be easy. Expecting that it's going to be easy is setting ourselves up for failure. So I believe like some sort of daily action or habit around, and I'll get to how you can actually do it, but just checking in on your vision and saying, okay, this is what the vision is. This is the goal. This is where we want to get to. And that's potentially why these challenges are coming my way. If we can get to a place where which gets me to my next point, which is gratitude. If we can get to a place where we can be grateful for the stress, grateful for the challenges, we can have or view them in a very different lens. So my first two points are vision and gratitude. So being aware of the vision, that could just be as simple as actually writing it down. Like, you'd be amazed at how many successful people just have their goals or their their vision in their head. Like, the, just the 
I guess the task of actually just putting it on paper can be very helpful. It helps provide that forward focus again, and it helps, at least it really, I feel like it really helps me understand that why I'm doing, why I'm going through these challenges that I'm going through right now. So then when it comes to practicing gratitude, like I've done the daily journaling thing for years and years and written down like all that sort of feel good stuff of being grateful for the sun rising and being grateful for my morning cup of coffee and all those like sort of feel good things, which it's definitely good to have gratitude for those things. But again, like if we're talking about staying focused and dealing with the stress that comes with work, family and business, then part of that gratitude, if we, I like, at least this is how I, I guess what I've learned from my own struggles over the years and it's always a work in, pro- work in progress, believe me. <laughs> I'm like, I'm coaching myself through this as I'm talking about it. But this is what I think about if there is a challenging situation, how can we be grateful for that in the moment? Because if you think back, if you look back, I near on guarantee, if you look back over your life and think of all the challenges you've had, like the whether they be injuries or potential failures in business or whatever they might be if you if you take note of all of the challenges you've had i'm like dead certain that you could look back at them and say you know what if that didn't happen then this wouldn't have happened like 99% of the time challenges or things hard things that happen lead to something great we learn something from it or they lead us down another path that that takes us towards success. So like I guess the the like the big goal or getting to this place where we can be grateful in the moment. It's not like learning that lesson in 6 months time in hindsight wisdom is being grateful for the challenges in the moment and being like okay what like what is this trying to teach me? If you can be aware of what a situation is giving you and you can be grateful for that, if it's teaching you something or providing you with something that's teaching you the things you need to know for your future success, then it can give us like a much different lens on how we view, on our perception of that outside stress. Because perception is key, right? How we perceive our outside world and those stresses is really going to dictate how we feel. So we've got control over that. They're always going to be there. It's just, can we change our perception as to how we view them? Now, I'm not saying that's easy. It's not freaking easy. It's very difficult. But that is the, I guess, the goal that at least that's what I'm sort of, I have included in my own life getting through challenges and things that I think about when I am facing challenges. They're the two big ones is like always come back to vision, remind you why, like remind you why you're doing this and gratitude. So being grateful for the little things, we've got a roof over our head, we've got 
enough money to pay the bills to have the heater or the aircon turned on, got food on the table, got to read my kids a book at bedtime, like all those little things, they can help just remind us that like our basic needs are being met and things are like pretty good. But then also being grateful for those challenges, being grateful for the stress. If you can, if we can come from a place where we can actually feel gratitude, then that's going to lower our perception to that stress. Like I've, I've mentioned it before, but I just think of stress like the bucket. So the stress bucket, everything's filling it up, right? It's training, injuries, financial stress, nutrition, alcohol, antibiotics, like the list can go on and on. Everything in life, in our outside world, is just adding stress to the bucket. And there's a little tap on the bottom, and that tap is our nutrition, our hydration, our sleep, and our perception, how we perceive our outside world. So we can manage that. Like we can manage our perception and put steps in place to sort of mitigate our perception. So for me personally, when I feel like I'm getting stressed, like in inverted commas, that feeling like you probably all know what it feels like that feeling like there's a fucking 50 kilo bag of cement on your chest and it's just like this pressure on your chest not a good feeling however i'm aware enough now and i've experienced it enough in my life and overcome it enough in my life that i'm i'm just like okay what is either filling my bucket up too much or what am i not letting out of the bucket and most commonly it would be my perception it's just my mental perception and my view on the challenges that i'm facing so if i can shift that then that can make it's much easier for that bucket to empty and not overflow again overflows we get run down we get sick and we're no good to anyone so they're my two biggest things like to manage that Again, the vision, gratitude. Outside of that, like two more very simple ones is just movement. So it's easy when we're like super busy, potentially stressed, works going crazy to not get any daily movement in. So I'm not talking about crushing a soul-destroying workout. Maybe it's just going for a walk. Again, if you think of that bucket, like training is a stress, but it also provides a lot of good stress to the body. So there's positive outcomes from training. Obviously, we don't want to overdo that. We don't want to just go balls to the wall in some hit workout and, and gas ourselves. We Maybe it is just going for a walk. But just getting outside, breathing, oxygen coming into the body, moving, super helpful. Then the other one would be breath work. Sounds a little bit woo-woo if you've never done it, but honestly just 60 seconds of box breathing in through the nose again like what i mentioned before in through the nose and then out through the mouth as slow as possible when just every exhale we're trying to elongate that exhale just 60 seconds of that like within three four maybe five breaths you will feel your nervous system just starts to come down a little bit so they're just a couple of other little, I guess, bonus tips, the movement, breath work, but they'd be my four big ones. Like if I had to say what answer that question, like 
what can I do to stay focused when dealing with work, business, family would be vision, gratitude, some movement and breath work. If you can get those four things like, and so the vision and gratitude thing, like you could do a journal if you want or a notebook. I'm a bit old school. I like pen to paper. If you're like a computer guy, just have a Google doc that you open up and you have your goal or your vision. Like your, it's going to be like a paragraph and it might change. Like every time you read it, you might, or every couple of weeks, it might change a little bit. Like once, if you've never put it on paper, it's probably going to feel a bit weird to do it. So you, it's okay to change it and change the language. It needs to be language that resonates with yourself. So that vision statement or paragraph, just because you write it down, I think that's why a lot of people are afraid to write it down is because they're like, fuck, what if I, do, what if I don't achieve it? What if it doesn't happen? That's okay. You just change it. You just change it. The goalposts are always moving, but you've got to have a, a North Star to aim for. That's the whole idea of it. And it helps us in those challenging situations. Be like, okay, this is why I am fucking doing this. And this is why it is hard and it is stressful because I'm trying to achieve something awesome for myself, my family, my business, whatever it might be. And then you just write down some gratitude, write down some things that you are grateful for and potentially some things you learned. Maybe it was a challenging situation that happened that day. Can I be grateful for it? And can I learn something from it? If you learn something from it, then it's very easy again to change our perception around it. And then it's just rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. They would be the the two biggest things that that vision and gratitude that I have personally put into play in my own life over the last sort of eight years since I've kind of started doing that and working on just working on myself and actually progressing myself and and my business. So hope that was helpful. One more question. It's a bit lighter than that one because that was um, a bit deep. We're going to some deep stuff there. So we'll finish off on a light note. <laughs> so this was another email question sent in. This particular dude is rides dirt bikes and quads and adventure bikes. So it was a kind of a two-part question, but the first question is... For the riders that compete in one or more discipline of racing like motocross and enduro or even in my case, different bikes, moto, um, quads, rally bikes, when it comes to riding on weekends to try and get some motos in or just bike time, could I just ride my two-wheeled bike to help with bike fitness so I don't put a lot of hours on my quad, which is my race bike? So really good question don't know if I'm the person to answer it because <laughs> I've never ridden a quad. So I'm assuming it's pretty similar. Uh, when I say similar, it's like training for those two things off the bike is not that different because obviously we're just trying to improve our capacity to ride those things, whether it's a four-wheeler or a two-wheeler. Like I've got a few four-wheel uh, quad clients and their program isn't really any different to a dude that rides a two-wheel bike because we're just we're improving the physical qualities that they need to improve to tolerate the demands of the sport. So there's not really any difference. You need to be strong. You need to be powerful. You need to be mobile and you need to have a fucking big aerobic engine. So in that regard, it's not too much different, but the actual skill itself of riding a quad 
is obviously different. Again, I've never ridden one, so I don't know. <laughs> but you just watch someone ride a quad. It's very, very different. How you corner those things is very different to how you corner a two-wheel bike. So the input you're having to give the bike. So my point there is there's obviously a big part of our... We don't just get faster and better at riding the bike by training in the gym. Training in the gym improves our physical capacity to then get on the bike and improve the skill of riding. So I don't know how much they carry over or how much they cross over, how much the two-wheel skill of a dirt bike or inputs carry over to a four-wheeler bike. I can't really answer that question. My only thought there would be that as you got closer to a an event that you were going to race on your quad, it, you would definitely want to be doing more time on the quad. Say like now it's the preseason, like it's the end of 2023, potentially not going to have any races for like close to six months in Australia anyway. We don't really have races in, in summer. Like we're about to have our last round of our national championship is this weekend and then that, that probably won't start until March next year or late March next year. So it's pretty close to six months almost that there'll be no... Uh, high-level races on at least. So my point there is like right now, you could probably do, definitely do more time on a two-wheeled bike and put more hours in on a two-wheeled bike. But then as you got, say you had a race in April on the quad, like at least I'd say two months before that race, I'd my thought would be I'd want to be doing a lot more time on the quad because that's the skill that I'm actually trying to improve and condition myself to because I'm going to be competing in a race on that thing in in eight weeks' time. So that's that's how I would sort of come at that. It's obviously most likely going to be easier to rack up hours um, on a two-wheel bike, and especially if you've got a rally bike or something like that. Um, so, yeah, that would be my thought. The further you are away from a quad race, you could get away with doing more two-wheeled stuff, and then as you got closer to your quad race, I'd be definitely focusing more on the quad and not so much, not so much the two wheel bike. Like I don't have any clients to do that. Bryson, my quad client and, and my couple other quad clients I've had don't ride two wheel bikes. Like they're full on quad guys and all my two wheel clients are full on two wheel dirt bike guys. Like I don't really have anyone that's crossing over between the two. So difficult for me to answer that one exactly for you but that will be my thoughts and then the follow-up question he had here was just can riding a motocross track when training for gncc achieve the same as riding gncc style tracks my answer to that would be hell yes like if you look at how a lot of these guys train over in the states now for gncc racing a lot of them are doing motos on motocross tracks all of the time doesn't mean they don't ride off-road they do ride off-road sometime but they do a high percentage of their volume on motocross tracks the benefits i see to riding a motocross track one the intensities more than likely going to be higher or not necessarily higher to racing but if you go and ride like an off-road track most of the time if you've got an off-road track to ride, especially like in Australia, it might be different in America if you're at, at an actual training facility. But for anyone that 
it's not at a training facility. Like most of the time, your off-road tracks that you go and ride are just out in the bush somewhere or out in the woods for the for y'all over there in USA. <laughs> so it's unmaintained. It's probably going to be dry, beat up. It's very hard to push and very hard to ride at a very high intensity. But when you go to race day, it doesn't matter what the conditions like, the intensity is going to be like super high. It's going to be through the roof. So the benefit to riding a motocross track, if it's prepped well, is the intensity can be a lot higher. So the intensity that you can more than likely maintain around a motocross track will be a lot closer to what the intensity is in a race for three hour. So intensity is a big one. And two, I would say is safety. Like to go balls to the wall on an off-road track through the trees, like if you make a mistake, you there's a like high chance you could take out a tree. You make a mistake on a motocross track, the consequences a lot of the time are a lot less. You might just tip over in a rut or you might blow off the track and and take out a track marker or something. Like it's that you don't have trees right on the edge of the track. You don't have trees right on off the edge of your handlebars on motocross tracks. So they're the two biggest benefits I see to riding motocross track is the intensity and the safety. You could maintain a higher intensity around a motocross track with less chance of injury, I believe. Um, and again, like we look at what a lot of these guys are doing over there in the in the States for GNCC, they do a lot of time on motocross tracks. Lots of 20s, lots of 30s, lots of 40s on the motocross track. You don't have to ride your bike for three hours to prepare for a GNCC. You have to ride it at a high intensity. Still want to get like a decent amount of volume in, obviously, but you don't have to go out and ride it for three hours to be able to race for three hours. Intensity is key. So the motocross track is good for that. So that's it for the questions today. Like I said, I did have another question that came in from a guy about the heart rate zones and how to train for that. It's There's a bit to unpack there and this episode's already been over half an hour, I think. So I'm going to do a separate episode on that one so we can dig into that topic a lot more. So I'll get that out in the next couple of days. Otherwise, next month we'll have another Q&A podcast. So if anyone has any questions that popped up or anything else at all, make sure you send them through on the next one. Until then... We will see you on the next episode.